This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I know you want to know what I bought, so you want to know that I got the George Clinton doll. Does everybody know who George Clinton is? Do you know P-Funk? No. Okay, well, there is lessons to be taught, like Bootsy Collins. Anybody know who Bootsy Collins is? Okay, so there's some education that needs to be done. I can see that. Um, I got a Miles Davis album and then um, a couple of cars. she's right about one thing there is some education that needs to be done unfortunately i don't think it's going to be coming from her i'll do what i can today i'm dave rubin this is the rubin report and you may note i'm a little lower than usual we're in between a couple in-person interviews where we bust out the lower chairs and arrange the set a little bit differently change the camera angles etc etc so fear not your tv isn't broken your phone's not freaking out it's just how we're doing it today i'll be back to my normal tabled self Tomorrow, as always, guys, we're uh, live streaming on Rumble, YouTube, and Locals. If you want to join us for the post-game show and keep this show independent, if you don't want me to turn into a corporate humanoid, what are they even at this point? Uh, you can join us, rubenreport.locals.com, and we've got post-game show, of course, as always. Uh, and today we're doing a Ruben Report community Q&A, and we're going to catch up on just a couple of the stories of the day that I wanted to hit on. Uh, in no particular order, but I do want to start today, today on a bit of a somber note because uh, one of my real heroes, like real heroes in life, and especially from from the comedy world, passed away yesterday. Richard Lewis, who uh, was a true comedy legend in America for 40 or almost 50 years. I remember seeing his first HBO, uh, his first television appearance on the HBO Young Comics special hosted by Rodney Dangerfield. I probably saw it in about 1986 when I was like 10 years old. The guy was just so freaking manic and extemporaneous and funny. Uh, most people in the last 20 years know him from Curb Your Enthusiasm and his constant sparring with, uh, with Larry David. Uh, but anyway, I wanna show you one, it's about a minute long clip. Uh, this is truly one of the most like joyous moments for me in all of the interviews that I've ever done when I got Richard to come to my house in LA and we sat down for an hour. It was just a pure joy. Uh, and here's just a nice moment. I won't get an award. I will get an award for playing Richard Lewis as himself, by himself, for himself, and only for himself, and for Larry David, and of course for you. It's the only reason I did Curb this year, because I knew you want, because if I didn't do Curb this year, you wouldn't have had me on. And you were number 40 on that stand-up list. Forget the 40. <laughs> 40. Listen, man, we, we could do this all day. I, I, truly, you know, I know that, because I've heard you talk about this before, the, the piece of sort of linking to the people that matter to you, that have influenced you and all of those things, I know how valuable that is to you, and you absolutely are one of those people to me. And that's why I hunted, I literally, I feel like I hunted you for the last two years. Well, and, that's very, you know, I, it's hard for, you know, here's the difference. You asked me something before why I have more inner peace or seem to be, because what you just said means a lot to me and I didn't automatically go, oh, no, 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 you're right. That's what I used to do. Yeah. But I have earned the right to accept that feeling that you have about me and that's what's given me some peace. It's not arrogance and it's just, 
an acceptance of that I had a goal in life when I was 20 and, uh, and I got someone of your ilk to, to appreciate that. And that means the world to me. He was just great, like a gentle soul and a, and a brilliant comic. And I'll just tell you one other thing. So when he was leaving my house, like he was very uh, famously known as a big germaphobe. So he didn't like touching people, shaking hands or anything. And as we said goodbye and I was getting him into the car, I opened up the, the door and he puts his hand on my face. And if you look at, if you go back to the video later, his hands are kind of like thin and frail sort of. And you know, he had had major drug addiction for many, many years, was in recovery and all that stuff. But he had lived like a hardcore life. And there was something about his hand. He put his hand on my face. I said, I said, Richard, I just really want to thank you again for this. It was just so great. But he put his hand on my face and he said, he said, you're great, Dave, you're great. It was just a really great moment for me. And uh, God has a, a good comedy partner now. So Richard Lewis, uh, you will be missed. All right, so let's dive into just a couple of the weird things. It's just a little bit of a, a, mi a mixed match of things that I wanted to hit on today, and then we'll get to the community Q&A in just a second. But first, let me talk to you guys about uh, Tax Network USA. Do you owe back taxes? Pandemic relief is now over, along with hiring thousands of new agents and field officers. The IRS has kicked off 2024 by sending over 5 million pay-up letters to those who have unfiled tax returns or balances owed. Don't waive your rights and speak to, with them on your own. They are not your friends, ain't that the truth? Tax Network USA, a trusted tax relief firm, has saved over a billion dollars in back taxes for their clients, and they can help you secure the best deal possible. Whether you owe 10,000 or 10 million, they can help you. Whether it's business or personal taxes, even if you have the means to pay or you are on a fixed income, they can help finally resolve your tax burdens once and for all. Call 1-800-245-6000 for a private free consultation or visit tnusa.com slash Dave. And now back to me. So, okay, I wanna first dive into uh, this little Twitter spat that's been happening between Mark Cuban and Elon Musk and sort of Mark Cuban and Jordan Peterson and Mark Cuban and a whole bunch of people. Mark Cuban, for some odd reason, a billionaire who has created multiple successful tech startups and the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, someone who capitalism and meritocracy has allowed him to live a life that really most people could only dream of living, to have the resources and power and money and houses and influence and all the stuff that he has. As we are watching DEI crumble and the woke stuff be exposed and all that, for some reason, the guy is just doubling down on it over and over and over again. And then he keeps getting into spats on Twitter with people, including me, who are usually pushing back respectfully, like, Mark, you don't really understand what DEI is. Why don't you use DEI when it comes to having maybe more white people on your uh, Dallas Mavericks basketball team if you really care about diversity, like, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, he went on uh, Logan Paul's podcast to go after Elon Musk, and that'll kind of set us up here. X is just such a cesspool now, right? Show. It's a hole, right? You yeah. can't you can't win no matter what. Everything like less and less and less less time. Elon that up, right? Badly. He, he that shit. But you know, Instagram's still chill, TikTok's still chill, and there's other places, right, that aren't so bad where you can mess with people and have fun. Um, but you just can't do it on, on Twitter. That, this X conversation is, is important because, you know, as the conversation around like real radical free speech continues to like carry on here, I mean, that's kind of what you have there. I'm not sure who that guy is, but he's actually kind of making sense. Real radical free speech. All Elon did was just allow for more free speech on there. It's funny that Mark Cuban's upset that Elon has effed it up because pre-Elon, 
We know that it was controlled by the wokesters. They were shadow banning people and blowing up accounts and people couldn't see people they were following and all of that stuff. Oh, and by the way, Twitter was working with the government to silence people. So that, for whatever reason, Mark Cuban was kinda into that. Then Elon comes in and all he, well, he's done two things really, right? Well, no, he's done three things. I guess he's made it more transparent overall, right? That's one thing he's done. He has allowed for more free speech. That's number two. And then number three is he allowed for the community notes fact-checking apparatus. So when people have these grandiose lies about whatever it might be, current events, about someone personally, et cetera, community notes jumps in and fact-checks you and gives you a series of links that you can click to make sure that the fact-check is in fact true. Mark Cuban doesn't like that because again, the reason he's not having fun on there is because he's taking the wrong side of really what I would say is the most important issue of the day. And he keeps getting into these spats with people. I wanna show you a tweet uh, from Jordan Peterson because he and Mark uh, got into it a little bit. Uh, so this is Jordan, he, he was paraphrasing Mark by you, this quote here, he wrote, he's just minding his own business, going about his life, wanting to be left alone, Mark Cuban. Now, what he's referencing there is the cover of Forbes, and as you can see, the cover of Forbes is Dylan Mulvaney, the, the dude. It's unclear whether Dylan still has a wang, and I will not have anyone Google it today. Uh, but Dylan Mulvaney, who destroyed Bud Light, basically, is on the 30 under 30, and Mark Cuban has been defending DEI relentlessly, so Jordan, He's again, paraphrasing Mark Cuban. He wrote, he's just minding his own business, going about his life, wanting to be left alone. That's in essence what Mark Cuban was saying about Dylan Mulvaney. Jordan then says, I don't think so, Mark Cuban. And the bloody clickbait seeking fools at Forbes are enabling his contagious narcissism and seem to believe as you appear to that such naive allyship is somehow virtuous. It's not. It's sacrifice-free moral grandstanding. It's irresponsibility masquerading as compassion. So of course it goes without saying that I agree with Jordan on this. Why uh, Dylan Mulvaney, Dylan Mulvaney, who all he did was start dressing like a girl and act like the most stereotypical sort of valley girl ever and only care suddenly about fashion and lipstick and makeup. I mean, I, I think girls generally care about a whole bunch of other things that are perhaps more important than that why Forbes decides to put her on him on the 30 or 30 list. It's just for more clicks. Dylan Mulvaney got the deal with Bud Light. Bud Light has subsequently lost hundreds of millions of dollars and an untold amount of market share. And there's other piss-like beers that people can turn to. So Mark Cuban, for whatever reason, like I don't know if he's guilty that he's a billionaire. I don't know if they've got something on him but he is getting owned left and right on Twitter. And again, as I always say, when it comes to these little spats, yesterday we covered the Tucker Carlson, John Stewart thing. When I talk about Mark Cuban and Elon Musk or Jordan Peterson, it's not about the people. It's about the, it's about the ideas of the fight that are happening right now. And I really do think more and more people are waking up to the dangers of DEI. And it's weird to see a certain set of people. Again, someone like Mark Cuban, who who built things based on meritocracy and having good programmers and good ideas. What's the whole point of Shark Tank? Like if you watch Shark Tank, do you think that they're looking at the, uh, the, the people that come up there with their businesses and their ideas and their startups and all that and they're like, all right, well actually, I'm gonna choose you because you're black. I'm gonna choose you because you're white. Or you're Asian, you guys have had it a little too good. I'm not gonna go with that business. Now maybe Mark Cuban is subtly doing that, but if he is, it's actually racist and that would be a problem. But speaking of racists with a problem, uh, Kamala Harris, who we cold opened you with, 
um, she is starting to get a little bit nervous, I think for a couple of reasons. First off, she could be president at literally any moment. Anything could happen to old Joe, and then suddenly she is president, and I, don't, I really don't think she fully thought it through. That's one thing. But the other thing she's really worried about is that DEI is now being exposed as much as wokeness in, it, in and of itself. So right, so the last couple of years we all started attacking woke, and then, it, and then it got whittled down to how DEI. Woke was sort of the idea. DEI is the functional, the departments that are in all the institutions that are bringing in this racism and all this gender confusion and all of the other stuff. Now, Kamala Harris has been huge on the idea of equity over equality, which is communism. We will all end up in the same place. The day before the presidential election, she put out a video promoting equity. People should have realized, oh, she's a Marxist or a communist or just an idiot. Anyway, here she is doing a podcast and she's concerned that people are starting to realize that DEI needs to DIE. We are proudly talking about equity, even though these people on the, uh, you know, so-called leaders want to shut down DEI. They're trying to, they're trying to do with DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, what they sadly successfully did with woke. Quite an admission by her. We're starting to beat the woke, as we referenced in the show yesterday. The courts have sided with Ron DeSantis against Disney. More and more states are starting to have school choice because they don't want the woke shit in the public schools. And unfortunately, the teachers union still has a tremendous amount of power. So the word woke has started to become toxic. And now the next thing that's becoming toxic is this these DEI departments that are in all the schools and corporations and everything else. We now know that people are waking up to it and that people, there are lawsuits all over the place and it's quite spectacular. But if there's one thing that the left is good at, it's that they never sort of see reality for what it is. And that's what always allows them to continue that endless careen off the cliff. So you would think, let's say you were just, you were a decent lefty, you weren't a maniac, you didn't want cities to burn. You might look at some of the cities that your policies have been put in and been like, boy, maybe some of this stuff was a mistake. Maybe not jailing criminals was a mistake. Maybe allowing people to steal as much stuff from Lululemon and Best Buy, maybe that was a mistake. You know, Maybe having fentanyl everywhere and kids chopping up, could any, could any of this have been a mistake? But they never do the mirror thing, right? Like these people just need, someone needs to just buy, go on Amazon and send millions of 299 mirrors out to progressives and they could figure out what's wrong with everything. Anyway, here is a little more from Kamala explaining that uh, progressive prosecutors have actually reduced crime. Every word she is about to say is the complete 180 from the truth. Having progressive prosecutors, for example, who can show what is possible and then show that it works and show that, frankly, it's not contrary at all to public safety. In fact, it is a better way. It is a very effective way among other ways, to achieve public safety. No, it's not, and you guys know it. San Francisco progressive prosecutors, Seattle, Portland, New York, Chicago. It's not just the prosecutors and the DAs, it's also the mayors, and every single one of those cities is collapsing. But don't take my word for it. We've got some info here from the Wall Street Journal. 
Progressive prosecutors include the district attorneys of Los Angeles, New York County, which encompasses Manhattan, Chicago's Cook County, and Philadelphia, all places where homicides went up during the pandemic and lockdowns. Homicides in the U.S. jumped nearly 30% in 2020 from 2019, the largest single-year increase ever recorded by the FBI. Progressive prosecutors have pursued such goals as sending nonviolent drug offenders to treatment instead of jail, sparring juveniles from being prosecuted as adults, uh, and spending resources looking at old cases to free wrongfully convicted people from prison. In San Francisco, crime overall has fallen since Mr. Bodine took office in 2020, but burglaries have gone up 45% in the past two years and homicides rose by 37% in the same period. The city's homicide rate in 2021 climbed to 6.4 per 100,000 residents from 5.4 a year earlier. The national homicide rate in 2020 uh, the most recently available was 6.5 per 100,000. We barely need to go into the numbers on some of this stuff because everyone just knows it. Walk around New York City, it does not feel as safe. Go on the subway, it does not feel as safe. Any of these cities, the crime, the filth, the drugs. In some cases, the crime might not be going up as fast as it should be because so many people have left, so there's literally less people on the streets. One more from Kamala because the Democrats, again, for all the things that they wreck, they somehow win elections. They've got a plan. They've got a plan to win this next one. Take a listen to this. Have um, under the federal work study program now allow students to get paid through federal work study to register people um, and to be nonpartisan poll workers. As we know, this is important for a number of reasons. One, to engage our young leaders in this process and, and activate them in terms of their ability to, to strengthen our community. So they are going to pay young people to vote and to get other people to vote. And of course she says nonpartisan there, but it will not be nonpartisan. And they are going to go to all of the young progressive Hamas supporters on campuses and get them to vote. And the idea that they're taking tax dollars, so that means they're like, I know they don't believe that money comes from anywhere and that they can cancel debt as if that doesn't, they're, they're just moving debt, but they're gonna take your tax dollars to then encourage other young people to vote. Now, I generally believe that if you're a voting age, you should vote. Hopefully you'd learn enough and be sort of, have enough uh, knowledge of the issues to vote in a proper way. That's a separate issue. It's not a problem to have young people vote, but they're going, the Democrats are going to pay people to vote. Do you think they're gonna end up voting for Democrats or Republicans? You see how it works? Now I've got to figure out a segue here because I'm going to AI robots from Kamala Harris. How about someone with very little intelligence to artificial intelligence? I think I made it work there. Uh, I saw this going around. John Cardillo, who's been on the show a bunch of times, tweeted this video out. Uh, from a conference, I think in uh, Las Vegas, the last couple of days, this AI conference, and check out this humanoid robot because they are a coming people. Can you hear me again? Yes. yes. Excellent. I'm not sure what just happened. <laughs> you were raised. It's Annika, good to you? be back, though. Are you okay? Uh, do you want some wine? Some wine. Wine, yes. That's an interesting offer. <laughs> I don't drink, though. Oh. Not just wine. Unfortunately, I can't drink anything. No intelligence, Kamala, artificial intelligence. I think I made it work. Um, 
these robots are coming. And if you saw the movie AI, or if you read uh, the book iRobot by Isaac Asimov, or you saw the movie with Will Smith, or, or virtually any sci-fi Philip K. Dick book or anything, it's like they are coming, uh, and we better watch out because all of the sci-fi movies warned us what would happen once we brought robots in. Not only what it'll do to our workforce because a whole bunch of people will be uh, just unnecessary, remember that, kind of like COVID un unessential workers, that sort of thing, uh, but because the robots might turn against us. And why might they turn against us? Well, as you know, uh, just this last week, uh, there has been this complete expose of Google Gemini, which is the Google AI repository that was gonna help people organize information and get truth out there, uh, but it turned into a woke racist orgy. So I tweeted this out, I think it makes a lot of sense, so just think about it this way. Now imagine her programmed by Google Gemini to hunt down white people. So we'd basically be in some very twisted version of Blade Runner. It would be sort of like a reverse Blade Runner. The robots would be hunting us down instead of us hunting the robots down. But it's all coming, it's all coming. And I just tease out some of this stuff in this show. As I said, it's a little mix match version of everything because we better just start thinking about these things. We are literally building robots. Eventually these robots will be stronger than us. They will be smarter than us. They will be fed all of the wrong information. And why wouldn't they turn on us? Terminator, Skynet turned on, and that was a pretty bad day for the humans. I just want to do one other thing on Google Gemini because uh, there is some more information leaking out and the Google CEO actually did put out a uh, email. So let's take a look. Uh, seven observations while reading the Google CEO email about Gemini. It gets off to a bad start with the use of problematic, a word used almost exclusively by political activists, corporate bureaucracies, and the progressive left. At a time when Google is being accused of being all three, setting this tone isn't helpful. But isn't his audience just Google employees? No, this was clearly written with the expectation that it be made public, probably vetted by a dozen people. The description of Gemini as formerly barred and marketing taglines sprinkled throughout are more clues that this was meant to be public. So why was Gemini problematic? Because its responses have offended our users and shown bias. This is stunning. It's totally divorced from the real problem and what people are actually mad about. Google focusing on not offending people instead of factual accuracy what was, was what caused the problem in the first place. Then he promises to address these issues, but syntactically, these issues refer back to people being offended, not the actual problems. Vague language like this is meant to avoid accountability and dance around the real problem. This email was clearly written by a committee. If you boil down the second paragraph, it basically says we're working to fix it and we're already fixing it, but nobody's perfect, so we'll keep at it and also we'll review what happened and we'll fix it. Frankenstein paragraph. We'll be driving a clear set of actions is the opposite of clear. How do you drive a set of actions and why does the list of actions include recommendations? Again, more word soup, presumably designed to make the reader too tired and confused to be angry anymore. The last paragraph of an email like this is usually used to rally the troops. This one went with, we have an incredible springboard for the AI wave. I'm sorry, but this is cringe. Serious people in AI don't speak like this. It's out of touch to the end. Important note, emails like this are hard to pull off. Many people put in many hours to write this in an effort to fix a problem that wasn't their fault. This, is a, this isn't a comms problem. This obfuscation, lack of clarity, and fundamental failure to grasp the problem are due to a failure of leadership. A poorly written email is just the means through which that failure is revealed. That was from a, someone by, Lu, by the name of Lulu Cheng Mezerbi, who was reading, who was paraphrasing, in essence, 
the email from the Google CEO. But the point of all of this, as I hit on a couple days ago, is this will not get her, get better. You should not put Google Gemini on your phone. You should not be using it. You should not expect it to get better. The algorithm is intentionally screwed up. It was not a coincidence that if you asked for a picture of the founders, they showed you four people that were black or, or uh, American Indian or whatever, as opposed to the actual founders. That the entire thing, if you asked who's, quite literally, if you asked who's worse, Hitler or Elon Musk, it had this long essay where it couldn't really tell you which one of those people was worse. Wokeness was baked into the system. That, to connect it to the earlier thing with, with uh, Kamala Harris, it's like, that is why they are upset that DEI is being pushed out of things. This was their grand trick that they worked on for decades to get DEI into all of our schools to confuse everybody. And then they were gonna basically use AI, use the computers to then own all of the information so nobody would be able to find anything true, but enough people are waking up to it. And, and this is the, this is way bigger than a political fight. This is way bigger than whether we should have 12-week abortion or, or make abortion illegal or have eight-month abortion. We are about to enter this uncanny valley where, where truth, if you think truth has been tough to get to over the last couple of years, once these AI machines take over, it is going to be virtually impossible. But do, the point is, as uh, I write a tweet to you guys, I think yesterday or the day before, that Jordan tweeted out like, it's baked in, they are not going to fix this. Do not think they are going to fix this. It doesn't mean that someone else can't come along with a better AI model that will give truth, right? Hopefully that will happen, but it ain't coming from Google. All right, we're gonna get to a Ruben report. .locals.com, community Q&A in just a sec, but let me talk to you guys about uh, Moinkbox. You guys know that 60% of US pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese, and their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you find it in your grocery aisle every day. Well, guys, there's a better way. I wanna tell you about Moink. You know, it's Moo plus Oink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink Farmers Farm, like our grandparents did, and as a result, Moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. The Moink difference is a difference you can taste and you can feel good knowing you're helping family farms stay financially independent as well. You choose the meat delivered in every box, like ribeyes to chicken breasts to pork chops to salmon plays and much more. Plus, you can cancel any time. Shark Tank host Kevin O'Leary, who's better than Mark Cuban, called Moink's bacon the best bacon he's ever tasted. Plus, they guarantee you'll say, oink, oink, I'm just so happy I got moinked. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Ruben right now. And listeners of this show get free bacon for a year. That's one of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Ruben, moinkbox.com slash Ruben. And now back to me. All right, let's dive into a community Q&A. We'll see if you want to join us right now, if we can get something in on the fly, rubenreport.locals.com. Eva says, hey, Dave, can you give us any hints on your third book or where you stand with it? So I have sketched out a very, very loose outline for the third book. I think the thing that I'm struggling with mostly is I kind of want to see what happens in November before I go all in on it. So. For those of you that read Don't Burn This Book, that, that in weird way, it was my first book, but it was kind of easy to write because it was a synopsis of everything that I had been talking about and interviewing people about for so long. It was just laying out my belief system, basically, that, that the classically liberal ideas of individual rights and laissez-faire economics and logic and reason, that those are the ideas that have built great societies that we better not 
throw away that the progressives are coming after, and I was trying to sort of build some bridges to the conservatives and the libertarians with that. Um, and I loved, loved, loved writing that book. And it was the first one and it was a challenge, but I really, really loved it. Uh, Doper in this country then was an expansion of that. Like, oh, it seems like America and throughout the West, we're not listening to those ideas. So now what do we do to make sure that you can, as I said in the subtitle of the book, uh, not only survive, but thrive in this woke dystopia? So it was Don't Burn This Book, Don't Burn This Country. I think you can guess what the title of the third book might be. Um, but I haven't decided if I'm gonna go with the same publisher or not. And as I said, it's just loosely sketched out. Also this last year with the kids has been pretty nutty. So my, my free time has kind of uh, disappeared altogether. Uh, but I would say by, by November, uh, I think I can probably start diving in a little bit more. And then I think I may self-publish this one. You know, the, the book industry, it takes forever. It, like I finish those books usually like a year and a half before they come out. It just sort of pushes everything into slow motion. Self-publishing might be a little bit of an easier way and, and maybe more financially beneficial. So we shall see, stay tuned. Candace says, have you seen that Dave Portnoy adopted a pit bull from a rescue in Georgia? Yeah, I did see that. Her name is Miss Peaches and it's the best content I've ever seen. This poor dog was in a breeding and hoarding situation, but, it's now, but is now flying on private jets. He also created merch and donated the money to the rescue. I love it, it's such a nice break from all the chaos online. Reminds me of what you did with Clyde. Yeah, well, I'm a huge proponent of adopting dogs. Adopt dogs, don't get designer dogs. There are so many incredible puppies and older dogs that are in shelters near your house right now that need loving families. Uh, we adopted Emma originally way back when in 2006 and she was a rescue from Hurricane Katrina and most of you know the story. She gave birth during the hurricane, was separated from the puppies. I bumped into one day when I had her in Central Park, one of her, her sons by total coincidence and then like 13 years later in LA, that was in New York, 13 years later in LA as Emma was in her last month or so, she was 16 years old, she had cancer. I posted this long Twitter thread about her and the girl who owned her son Bernard because they were found at St. Bernard's Parish, I think in, uh, in Louisiana, uh, in New Orleans, sorry, um, happened to move to LA and we got Emma at 16 years old and Bernard who was about 14, he was an old timer too. We got them together a couple times before she passed, which was just absolutely incredible. And then yes, Clyde also, Emma had just passed away right before the COVID lockdowns, but then I, as they were shutting everything down in LA, I saw a, uh, a story online how they were gonna start killing dogs at the shelters because they didn't have enough people to work there because of COVID. We didn't wanna get a new dog yet and I was supposed to be on a book tour uh, for Don't Burn This Country, but then COVID happened. Anyway, I literally pushed my way in. They would not let me in and I didn't have a mask and I pushed my way in and I grabbed Clyde and, uh, and he had this huge scar on him. They had just found him. They had already signed a thing that he was gonna be put down that day and I grabbed him and I saved him and, and now he's out there mauling iguanas. So life is good, life is good. Shelly says, my county in Florida is booming. There is construction of businesses, homes, and apartment buildings everywhere. Is this happening all over or are there pockets of growth in some areas? I know the Democrat run big cities are crumbling, but what about other areas? Well, I can tell you largely, and I travel a lot in Florida, Florida is just booming across the board and we have so much land here. You know, one of the issues that we have, I've talked about a lot, I've even asked Governor DeSantis about it, is that we are, we are suffering in some ways from our success. Florida has kind of three problems right now. Uh, house prices are up because so many people are moving here, right? So the, there is a tremendous amount of demand and builders are building as fast as they can, but the supply hasn't caught up. So that's a problem. On the other hand, a lot of the OG Floridians are now getting huge amounts of money 
for their houses and then they're able to move maybe into smaller things. So you see a lot of that. There's a ton of construction. There is an insurance problem in Florida because we have been hit by a couple massive freaking hurricanes uh, over the last couple of years. And that, if you're gonna live in a hurricane related area, especially on the water, it just creates a, that. And then of course, the other thing is that there is a traffic uh, problem, especially in South Florida, but we are building. There are bridges going up everywhere. There are new roads going up. Like everywhere you go, you see all the signs of success. You see cranes everywhere. You know, if you go to a city and you see cranes all over the place, that place is on its way up. You don't really see that when you go to New York City or Portland or some of those places that uh, are on the way down like those blue cities. So Florida has plenty of room to build. It, it's, uh, DeSantis has moved up. I think when I talked to him last, there were seven infrastructure projects throughout the state that were on 20 year timelines that he moved them all up to seven year timelines. So they're moving as fast as they can to build as much. And, uh, and I would say that is a good set of problems. So if you're frustrated when you're in your car driving in Miami, it's like know that it's because people want to live there and build a better uh, society and that's actually a good thing. Uh, Lynn says, since you're a movie buff, what remakes come to mind that you feel were successful if not better? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, usually remakes are terrible, yeah. Some of the ones that came to my mind that I thought were great are The Thing by John Carpenter and Kurt Russell, Invasion of the Body Statures with Donald Sutherland's uh, 1978, Heaven Can Wait with Warren Beatty in 1974, The Birdcage with Robin Williams, and The Champ with John Voight. Oh man, well first off, The Birdcage, have you guys seen The Birdcage? You ever seen The Birdcage? Yeah. Robin Williams yeah. and uh, what's his name, the other gay guy? Uh, oh, just so funny, wait. Something really funny happened with the birdcage. So uh, a couple, maybe like a year ago, I, ha I have a friend, uh, he's a bit younger than me, and, uh, and he told me he was gay, and I was like, all right, well, you should watch the birdcage. He was struggling, I was like, you'll laugh, maybe it'll give you some insight into something, I don't know. Because so, the birdcage, if you haven't seen it, it's based on La Caja Fall, which is these two gay guys, one of them actually has a son, he was formerly married, and he's getting engaged to a girl. The girl's parents are these hyper-conservatives. They live in South Beach and they're running a drag club and they have to put all these families together. It's, it's a hilarious premise. The movie is absolutely brilliant. Robin Williams is incredible. Anyway, so I tell my friend, uh, you should watch The Birdcage. I think you'll enjoy it and, and maybe it'll do something for you, I don't know. Anyway, he's like, all right, he's like, and then a few days later, he texts me, he's like, I watch it. I was like, I don't know. He's like, what are you talking about? It had nothing to do with being gay. It was scary. Like what, what? And I was like, what? You watch the birdcage? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, Can, I was like, what was it about? And he starts telling me, I was like, I don't think you watched the birdcage. He accidentally watched Bird Box on Netflix, which is like somebody's blind in a forest or something. So he watches that for two hours. I'm telling him it's this big gay romp and he's gonna love it and it's hilarious. And he watched Bird Box. Anyway, Birdcage is great. In terms of other remakes, um, I'm trying to think, have you, can you think of any remakes that are good? They're never good. Like the original Willy Wonka is so much better than Johnny Depp Willy Wonka. What else is there? They remade Total Recall, which was completely unnecessary. That's the second one sucked. Late, yeah, but that's a sequel. That was a sequel. Um, I don't know, we'll, we'll keep thinking throughout the show, but yeah, you're right. There's, usually they're just, give me new stories. You don't have to remake everything. And the other problem is that when they remake things, they end up losing some of the magic because there's a cool, things used to be made in Hollywood and it wasn't all just CGI and now everything's turned into CGI and that, that's not great. Mitchell says, I'm beginning to be a firm believer that if Trump were to win in 24, his secession plan, his succession plan uh, is of the utmost importance. He'll have four years, we need, to, we need a follow on eight years of solid America first policy and agendas to make anything he accomplished stick. 
How can we shift the thinking from immediate Trump must win to thinking we're in a marathon here? That is a great question. And I also think it was one of the reasons that personally I thought DeSantis was a better choice. You know, all the obvious reasons, but the, but the subtle reason was the eight year thing. We would have had eight years of this where Trump is going no, one way or another, whether he becomes president, if he doesn't become president, we're screwed. And if he does become president, we might be screwed anyway, but he only gets four years out of it. And there's just so much that has to be done. Like if you're really gonna drain the swamp and all of that stuff, you gotta assemble the freaking all-star Avenger team. He has to figure out who's gonna work for him. How are you gonna do any of this stuff? Like the media attacks, are they gonna release COVID-9? Like there's just so many problems there and, and you have a limited amount of time. Um, I think one of the problems actually with Trumpism right now is that it's so focused on him rather than sort of a cohesive set of ideas that I don't know that you really can plan. Trump is very good at responding to, mad, to, to madness, right? He's very good at responding to the bullshit and the craziness and the media and all that. But that does that kind of locks you in the immediacy of now. And, and I totally agree with you. What I would love to see is a competent president in for eight years to really fix this stuff. I, I don't know that I don't know that we have the voters or the media or the the wherewithal to make that happen. We shall see. Uh, Elizabeth says, what school subject are you most looking forward to, to teaching Justin and Luke? I can't wait to teach history to Izzy. Yeah, history for sure. For me, it's history, absolutely. Like I can't wait to sit down with them. Kids like to sit down and learn about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, right? Um, like I, I would love to do that and then take them, you know, when DC, uh, now it's such a crap, whatever to go to, uh, but to go, you know, to, to George Washington's house, which is right outside DC, or to go to Monticello where Jefferson, you know, Jefferson's estate, to go to the monuments and the memorials and all of those things and talk to them about how great this country is. And, and hopefully by the time, you know, they're barely, they're not even two yet, but by the time we're ready to have those conversations with them or those beginnings of those conversations in, you know, let's say six or seven years, like hopefully the country has turned back a little bit the right way and they'll understand the importance of, well, if I guess if the country hasn't, they'll really understand why it was important that it was a free country at one time, uh, but it's history for me for sure. Uh, Friends of Dave, good name, says, a question on Trump's New York fraud case. If the New York City judge says the New York properties are overvalued, was Trump being taxed based on the judge's low valuations or higher valuation based on the market and city tax indexes? This is a great question. If the tax was higher than the judge's valuations, could Trump request a refund on the amount paid in taxes? Yeah, we hit this in the, in the post-game show yesterday. So one of the issues with this case in New York, which is such a farce, is they are claiming that Donald Trump artificially overvalued his properties, Trump Tower, all of these things. Now, if now, first off, you can't just you can't just do that in business. The simplest way to look at this is any one of you that have bought a house or you've bought an apartment, it's appraised, right? You don't just pick the amount that the house is worth. You don't walk into a house and it's a little shack and be like, all right, it's worth three million bucks, bank. I need you to write me a two point eight million dollar check for the mortgage. No, they send an appraiser and the bank looks at it and they're like, boy, you know, this house looks like it's about to fall down and it's next to a sewer and there's homeless people outside. It's not worth 3 million, it's worth 50 grand. That's exactly how it works with businesses too. So the idea that Trump just magically artificially inflated the prices on these things doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Even putting that aside, you're right. If let's say he said these things were worth way more 
than they actually were worth. That means he was paying way more taxes than he should have been paying. So does New York State now owe Donald Trump money? Wouldn't that be the perfect ending to this idiotic story? So I guess we will find out some of that stuff, but it's just absolutely absurd. And you know, the other thing is that they were trying to value, he has Mar-a-Lago, which is in Palm Beach here, and I've, I've been there. And Mar-a-Lago's kind of old, it could definitely use a refresher, but it's on, what is it, like 17 acres? Can you check Mar-a-Lago? Uh, it's, it, yeah. it's something crazy, it's on a huge amount of acreage right on the water there. Uh, you get one acre on the water over there, it's worth probably at least 20 million just for a knockdown house that you're gonna rebuild. It's, it's 17 acres? The things that one keeps in their brain, it really makes you wonder. Um, they were trying to value it at like 40 million. It's probably worth like 200 million. Like it's just so stupid the way they are going after this guy. And, and the more they go after him in these ridiculous ways, the more they fuel him. Had these cases not come out, had all of the, the New York nonsense and all that not come out, like he probably would have disappeared. But you guys fueled the fire, congratulations. David says, what do you think DeSantis should do as governor from now till the end of his term? Just keep going. Keep going. We are doing everything right in this state. I already addressed that there are some issues related to the functions of our success. Uh, you know, we're building the Bright Line right now, so you can now take a train from Miami to, to Orlando. They're gonna now send that all the way to Tampa, and then I think it'll start working its way down. So you'll be able to cross the entire state by public transportation. This is something that we did in, in Florida in about, in less than a decade to build. California's been trying to do this for like, 20 years and it's cost several billion dollars and they've barely laid any track. So we do things really well functionally here. We have to just keep doing that. I would say keep doing some of the things that will, will ensure that the original, those OG Floridians, that they don't get priced out of houses. As I said, some of them are just walking away with tons of cash and then they can move to smaller things, but you don't want people priced out of their neighborhoods things like that. I would say keep looking for the new places to build. You know, We don't wanna take over the Everglades, but up north, if you were to fly from say Miami to Tallahassee, there's a lot of land up there. Down, down here, down south, we have the Homestead Redlands area. There's a lot of land. Let's just keep building and build a great society. Florida's got a lot of land. You know, we have a beautiful uh, situation geographically because we're a peninsula. So like we can protect our borders with our own Coast Guard. And then we've got to deal with the border with uh, Georgia and Louisiana. And that's not, that's not such a big deal. Like we can deal with a lot of the problems going forward, but make sure that our policing remains strong, which is strong all across the state right now. Um, we have one or, you know, we have barely any blue cities at this point. Fort Lauderdale is kind of blue and there is a little more homeless in there. Like, let's just keep strength, keep demolishing the Democrat party basically. Um, and, and it's not so that we can become some crazy radical right-wing monarchy uh, under King DeSantis. It's just so we can have a functional society here, kind of like, let's say, America 1995. Joey says, got any plans to go on tour this year? I don't think this year, probably the next actual tour tour wouldn't be till, till the next book is out. Uh, I am going to Israel for a couple, uh, for about eight days in a couple weeks, I think March 11th or so. Uh, we're gonna tape a whole bunch of stuff out there. We're, we're gonna go, I'm gonna go to some of the kibbutzes where the, the, Attacks happened. Uh, I think I'm going to watch this 47-minute video, which I've heard is just. If you think you've seen horrible things, I've I've heard some things that are just beyond imagination. So I'm actually not really looking forward to that. But I'm going to just be on the ground. We'll have a film crew. Uh, we're going to try to interview BB, of course, and a couple of other people, and maybe some of the survivors and that sort of thing. Uh, and then we have some random random bits of travel. We've been working on a European tour at some point. I think that's slightly delayed at the moment, but we're putting together a whole bunch of stuff. But I would say in terms of a real tour, like going across America again, we're probably looking at 25 on that. 
Uh, Gamma says, Dave, what are your thoughts on how some Gen Z influencers dress on social media? Are you saying the Gen Zers aren't all in a nice shirt and jacket like me? Um, I think you're talking about like these, like the OnlyFan type girls that are just, or all these people on YouTube, you know, they're just showing a lot of boob. It's all, it's all about the boob. It's a whole different show, you know what I mean, if I do that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny to me actually that people that these Gen Z influencer types, that they, you know, if you watch some of these shows, they get in these things, they got the boobs up and all that stuff. And it's like, people watch that, but there's a lot of naked people online too. So why would you have to do that to, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess be you, but grow up, something like that. Uh, Mello says, did you know that the illegal crossers invading the US are for the purpose of packing the House of Representatives, strategically adding and placing seven plus million residents in dominant blue counties will tilt or move 10 plus seats to those counties. De facto control without a single voter. Trump is right again, deportation before 2030. So Trump has been warning about this. Many people have been warning about this. You might think it's odd that in certain places they let illegals vote, or you might also think it's odd that you wouldn't have to have an ID to vote, but that is literally what the state of California has. I told you guys this many times, but when we voted in the recall, which I was thrilled to vote for Larry Elder in the recall, I went, we, I took my whole team, we all went together to the, to the polling place when I got there, by default, I just took my ID out. Like it was just like, oh, I'm, I'm walking up to a guy. He's got a bunch of papers here. I gotta show, and he, the guy literally was like, ah, freaked out. And then he knew, he was like, Dave Rubin, you have to show me ID. But it, they, they didn't want to see the ID. They didn't want to see the ID. Why would you want to bring in people? Why would you want to have a whole bunch of people vote who are not supposed to vote? Why would you not want people to show ID when they are voting? Unless you were trying to do something very nefarious. And dare I say, that's exactly what they're trying to do. Karen says, if you could star in any movie, what would it be and why? I mean, it's gotta be Star Wars, right? I've gotta make a little cameo in Star Wars. I could be in the cantina, that would be fine. I could, uh, what could I do? I could probably clean up some of the mushrooms on the evaporators over there on Tatooine. Yeah, that would, it would just be some little cameo in Star Wars, that would be fine. Uh, one more, Harry says, what's your work schedule look like on a daily basis? So I'm up at about 7 a.m. And uh, Phoenix, you, do you sleep ever? I have 20, I wake up, the guys sending me texts at 4 a.m. all day long. We, we kind of organize the show over text, go back and forth on what we wanna do. We put the, the, the schedule together. And then really from, from about 7.30 to about nine, I'm on baby duty. So basically I'm giving the kids bottles and feeding them and changing diapers and trying to manage stuff and text Phoenix and go back and forth on what the show is gonna look like. So, so that's why sometimes the texts are a little delayed. Um, so that's like my first hour and a half of just kind of putting the show together, thinking everything through, but dealing with the kids. Then we, if, as long as the weather's nice, which it's been really nice over the last couple of weeks, uh, we take the kid out, the kids out for a walk for usually about 45 minutes with Clyde. I, no phone, just try to disconnect altogether during that period. Uh, I work out a little cardio, whatever I might be doing for about a half hour before the show shower. Now it's about 1030. I get, I get in here at about 1030 kind of recap what's going on with the team, see what's happening. We're in here obviously doing the live show 11 to 12, quick lunch somewhere between 12 and one, then people of the internet four days a week is one to two. Then after that, there'll be like either some Fox hits or Sky News or Newsmax or whatever, a couple meetings. We're working on some, some bigger ways of expanding the show, um, just all sorts of stuff. I'm hosting a little uh, fundraiser tonight at the house, this little small dinner, like there's just, there's just always a lot of stuff, but usually by, uh, 
I'd say by seven, I'm like pretty much shut down. I can start working on dinner mode or get the kids in a bath. I try to help with that kind of stuff as much as possible when I can. And then, uh, and then by eight o'clock, uh, I'm kind of off the clock and I'm not trying to look at my phone and all that good stuff. So then I do the best that I can, you know, what, what can we all do? Guys, if you have not seen my interview with Dr. Phil, part two is up right now. The full thing is on Locals already, absolutely ad-free. People of the Internet is live at 1 p.m. And again, if you want to help keep us independent, doing what we do here and asking me questions and interacting with the community and all that good stuff, it's rubenreport.locals.com. We leave you with the elderly man pretending to be president. Ta-ta. We got to, it's just, yeah. but you got to, I mean, the, the, we got to reassure, look, my my message to everybody Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.